in a world where everybody makes podcasts. One bear and one woman have also made one. It's Knackers and the Vatch. Well, slap my ass with a red serviette and call me Comrade Tea Time, or you can call me Vag, 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 because it's time for, as you're probably more than dimly aware, you pushed a button irresponsibly after all. Knackers, 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 and the Vag, Vag, Vag. Who is the Vag? Well, that's me, a woman once of modest prominence, now unknown by those who aren't. Uh, semi-literate masochists, it's how I like to think of the demo, and an adorable bear made in a factory, probably by children, for no money at all or even less, called Knackers. Why is Knackers here? To try to control my uncontrollable tongue. You see, you are Knackers, and I am a girl standing in front of you, asking you, the proletariat, to love itself. So what brings us to a more or less semi-regular three-episode bonanza of not taking 18 years off? Not much, just fancy to chat. Didn't have a lot to do today and not seeing the shrink for a few days. So hey, lucky you. What are we going to talk about, Knackers? Oh, oh, Knackers, thank you for reminding me. A very special prize available. All right, it's my last two books and I'll send them to your house. All right, one, the one about Marxism is called Total Propaganda. Of course, if you really want to read good Marxism, I suggest Marx and many others before me, but they probably don't have as many crude words. Um, It's a a fun guide for millennials, except, of course, not a single millennial bought it or read it. I think it's just all old academics who, like me, like to pretend that they're young. So we write things for each other, pretending that we're young and hip. No young people, you know the deal, you know the deal. All these old people making youth media like they can, it's disgusting. And this podcast is disgusting, except for the presence of knackers, 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 an adorable bear. He really is rather lovely. Don't mind a stuffed toy. Now, I am, well, Knackers is recording on an Australian Awareness Day known as Are You OK Day? And yes, again, I imagine that this was devised by old people like me who think that they're hip and can talk to the street beat. <laughs> I mean, seriously, I'm, I'm, I'm more than sufficiently aware that, that old people are stupid. I mean, we're so clumsy in our language and we always, when we try to talk to what we imagine um, is, you know, a youth, we get everything wrong and we end up sounding more or less like a hip-to-the-street-beat 1970s Christian street preacher, you know? Jesus was a way-gone dude. Uh, look, I just own it. I'm unfashionable and unpleasant. Unlike knackers, knackers, knackers. Yeah, so hang around and I'll be giving, oh God, this is just sad. I'm using an old radio technique called forward promoting. When they do that, they 
want to make you listen longer during a writings period. Um, but oh, fuck, who cares? No one's listening at this point. And even if you are, even if you're playing, it's probably going on in the background and not getting your full attention. I don't expect your full attention. You've got a life, and not only do you have a life, you have a life jam-packed, you know, absolutely assailed with other screams from other media for attention. Why should you give me yours? You shouldn't. I certainly don't have knackers. Are you okay, Day? Are you okay? Handy hashtag. It's um, an acronym or an initialant or whatever. Uh, And so the idea of Are You Okay Day, which follows Suicide Awareness Day, um, which is odd, really, given that the function of Are You Okay Day is alleged to be ring your friends that you're a bit worried about and ask them, are they okay? Um, So what is wrong with this? Well, you know I like to shit on joy. Apart from collecting small stuffed animals, it's my hobby. But no, really, what is wrong with this? I have had some very interesting conversations with, in the course of work, I'm not boasting, it's not like I hang out with esteemed people or whatever, but there is this really fine chap in Australia called um, Patrick McGorry. He's a professor. And if you follow, as I do, psychiatric debate, He's not completely far removed from, say, the figure Alan Francis. Alan Francis is a former editor of the DSM, that is the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual for Mental Disorders. It's a very influential document. It's written by the American, that is the US, Psychiatric Association. And look, it has a fascinating history of changing the world in terms of medicalizing people. You know, and as I'm sure you know, if you're at all interested in queer issues, that, for example, uh, homosexuality was once considered a medical disorder. Let's not forget that uh, that wasn't actually until just, just about 100 years ago uh, when they started medicalizing everything, it was criminalized and medicalized at around the same time. Now, it's um, it's interesting to look at their. You, you probably read some of this stuff, right? Right? They question depression, and um, you know, they question the division of uh, what you might want to call a reactive depression, or as I would like to think, a perfectly healthy response to a fucked up world to that other kind of observed depression, observed by many practitioners, felt by many people, where there really is not a strong reason. There is not an obvious reason. There is not a form of trauma that would account for this. It's just that you don't cope. This is not to say that if trauma doesn't befall you, you might not have a fairly extreme reaction. But so I think that we can say, and you, you perhaps have in your life perhaps somebody who is terribly depressed for good reason, you know, you could, you know, there's a rationale, you know enough about their history, could be you, could be little Helen. Knackers, however, well, he's regularly been taking his reuptake inhibitors since birth, so 
uh, borrowed them from the uh, the global South kitties who made him, um, and he doesn't experience any feelings at all, do you, Nackers? Except love you, which is also him, the proletariat. So then you get you know another kind of person, and you know I have a pal uh, like this, and she's you know written about it very eloquently. It's just I don't deal. There is something inside me. And this is an old distinction, goes back to Hippocrates, apparently, the first alleged doctor, you know, the father of Western medicine. And, yeah, weeks ago he was, um, ancient Greece. And so this distinction has been lost. Francis has been, I think, a strong advocate for urging for less medicalization of people. There's also a recent popular book uh, by a bloke called Johan Hari, H, too much, too many people. <laughs> so what does Alan Francis have to do with Patrick McGorry? I'm just putting him in some kind of context in case, you know, you want to look these blokes up and in case you, you have ever suspected about yourself or, or others or the world that the world is maybe and increasingly so, a cause of fucking depression. Um, so McGorry has that real world understanding. And I've had some conversations with him before about awareness, such as the Are You OK Day, awareness around mental health. So people talk about this a lot, you know, and the assumption underlying this really is that it's up to you to make sure people are okay. Are you okay? Ask them. What if the answer is no? What do you do? Do you have adequate training in uh, mental health first aid? There is such a thing, by the way. Of course, it comes from Scandinavia, that place that we all love. That place, chock full of racists. I mean, almost as many as there are in Australia. We'll get to that in a minute. Racist Australia. It's a racist place, I'm telling you. You know, you don't, like, nick someone's land, right, as a, as a settler, invader, massacrist, and then, you know, not for 200 years say, oh, well, maybe it wasn't nobody's land. Maybe it wasn't terra nullius. You know, people actually live here or lived here and, you know, and then think everything's going to be hunky-dory. It's not blah, blah, blah. I get my mate, um, I think, Jack Lattimore on very soon. He can talk uh, about this stuff until the cows come home amused and educated. Back to the point, Helen. Thank you very much. Knackers. The point being, the concept of poor mental health is strangely very much understood as being something in isolation from the political, even sometimes the medical realm. Of course, you know, we'll all encourage people to go to the doctor, which most people can kind of afford to do in Australia if they work their way around it. We do have a form of what you might call universal health care. Uh, it's harder and harder to get completely um, no-cost health care, but it, these things do exist. But even if you do go to the GP, then an appointment with a psychiatrist, and I say this, you know, from my own experience being a lady who's pretty good at massaging the system, 
and actually being a lady who managed to get some effing insurance out of somebody so, you know, I can pay the full cost. Even so, living in a highly populated, well-served electorate, I find it difficult to get to the psychiatrist. And I am, as you can imagine, and as knackers will advise, a, 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 a cocking bulldog. I really am. I don't give up. One of my many psychiatric problems that I'm addressing with both of my therapists. So, the reality is that you can be made aware of your own ill mental or poor mental health through an awareness campaign or by somebody asking you, are you okay? Or, you know, you can make somebody else aware and, and sure, but what next? You know, I, I mean, the, the, the demographic in Australia, the, the particular, uh, you know, kind of person in Australia who is most likely to suffer from ill mental health or poor mental health, uh, sorry if I'm using um, language that <coughs> feels demeaning or, or triggering, um, in any way, uh, uh, I'm, you know, genuinely all sympathy and genu- genuinely committed to, you know, advocating where possible for better mental health care and the services that need to surround it. So, you know, in Australia, it's it's people in remote communities, Aboriginal people in remote communities who are very likely to suffer a range of mental illnesses that the general population don't, and they also have no services. And all of this awareness serves what? when you can't get any treatment. And I have spoken with Magori about this and uh, he he founded the organisation Headspace, which I'm told by young people, you know, because I'm very hip to the street beat and I talk to them all the time. You know, I'm told that this is a a good organisation. So where do you go? When you're made aware, where do you go? When you make someone aware and they say, no, I'm not okay, where do you go or, or or where do they go? Where do you go from there? And I, I mean, so what happens, whether it is intended or not, is to make it appear as though this is a problem we can solve ourselves. And that's not the case. It, it, it's really not the case. And the people precisely who need not only mental health care, often uh, the assistance of a dietitian. Uh, if you're very seriously depressed, if you um, have the condition um, that is called bipolar, if you have a range of disorders, very often you will be prescribed something that makes you freaking enormous. And, you know, look, let's be real here, ladies. I don't like being chubby. Doesn't make I mean, look, there's all sorts of reasons that I shouldn't give a shit, right? But I don't enjoy it when I don't fit into my clothes. And you know, I, I sort of just think about that slight discomfort of me, you know, maybe tipping the scales at 60 kilograms, right? And I think not only about you know, particularly for the ladies what they will encounter in terms of, oh, great, you know, that there's another form of effing bigotry 
that I have to feel, you know, all empowered and above, but the physical consequences and more than anything, I believe, feeling imprisoned in your medication, which probably everybody does to some degree or not. So there's dietary concerns, nutrition concerns, there's a range of drugs that, you know, really increase the appetite for, um, what is it, short chain carbon, bad food anyway, you know, food that's not terribly nourishing, housing, all of these things. And, you know, people are living precisely in the conditions that are going to undermine any empowered attempts that they or their friends could make to be okay. And so what do you do? Ask them, are you okay? And, uh, you know, a good friend of mine, one of my, my, my usual bitches, uh, the one I was telling you about before, she takes the inquiry very personally. It, it, it serves to remind her, because she's very out, for want of a better phrase, about her depressive illness, which is in that smaller category of people that we talked about, um, those who seem to have depression that comes from within the body largely and is not created by external circumstances, which is the case for so many of us. When she's asked on Are You Okay Day, she's reminded that people need to be reminded that they should ask her if she's okay. So there's a range of political, the political meaning, you know, our interactions within a society there's a range of political consequences and, you know, I mean, don't even get me started on the organisation Beyond Blue, you know. I mean, you just don't go pretending that depression can happen to anyone at any time. Mental illness can befall anyone. Technically speaking, yes, it can. But who does it afflict the most? The people who can't afford to pay for their care, the people who will be made to feel more hopeless by the question, are you okay? No, I'm not. My life is shit. I can't get an appointment with a shrink. I've topped out my subsidised healthcare for the year. I've got nowhere to go. My drugs aren't working. I wait for 45 minutes every time I call the crisis line. I don't have a job because I'm too unwell. No, I'm not okay. So, yes, there is a case for asking, of the society, are you okay? Perhaps less of a case for us feeling good about asking somebody if they're okay. Interestingly, oh, God, I'm, I've already gone on too long, haven't I? Um, the uh, former campaign, um, stra uh, campaign director, for Are You Okay is a lady who is the strategist for a group called Breakthrough Media. Now, the fun fact that I realised today is, you know, several uh, months ago, International Women's Day, I had another one of my special usual bitches on called Shakira Hussein, Dr. Shakira Hussein. Oh, she's got a book out um, about Muslim women soon. Um, no, it's, it's not a behind the veil, what do we really think 
I don't know, there's like more than half a billion of these Muslim women. You know, they probably think about half a billion different things. No, she's talking anyway. Anyway, so she's got a you know, book coming out through uh, Yale Press soon and I'm very excited about it. I've read chapters. It's, it's fantastic. So I was, I was going to call Shakira uh, today to say, hey, you okay? You know, just generally um, because we do that because, hey, you know, amazingly, I believe most people don't need to be reminded by a fucking nanny awareness campaign to ask their their, their friends, their intimates, their family, their their colleagues, their peers, are you okay? I mean, some people just do that. And I was going to, and I thought, I can't because she'll think I'm, you know, ringing today to because I've been prompted by this campaign. Shakira wrote a piece in an Australian publication called The Saturday Paper about breakthrough media. Fascinating thing happened to her. She was asked to go to a workshop which was about uh, empowering Muslim voices, something along these lines. And it was a trip to Sydney and it was some accommodation and it sounded interesting and she agreed to go, you won't believe what happened next. Well, if you do a bit of uh, search of the internet, uh, say uh, breakthrough media cage, uh, that's the word uh, cage, but it's an acronym for an NGO in the UK, you'll find out what the work of breakthrough media has been. It's, it was reported very well in The Guardian uh, 2016. These guys have set up shop in Australia, uh, don't know who all their clients are, but I know one client is the Department of Home Affairs. Under the reign of Peter Dutton, this company started providing services. I don't know what they all are because they don't tell you on the website. They just say empowerment of communities through storytelling or some, you know, something happy clappy like that. And Yes, you know, she was invited to this thing, you know, went, realised uh, after the fact or within the fact, I don't know, read her thing in the Saturday paper, that she was being persuaded to make social media presentations that were agreeable to this firm. Now, sounds to me like outsourced propaganda. The same company in the UK sounded very much like that to them. You may know the name Yasmin Abdel Magid. She's quite a well known Australian. And Shakira talked to Yasmin for this. Now, Yasmin is very interesting. Uh, you know, young woman, full of vigour, what we would call a role model, really. Engineering degree, promising career, happened to be. Hot as balls, frankly. I hope you don't mind, Yasmin. Not that you ever listen, I'm sure, but you know, you're nice to look at, okay? It is generally agreed. Uh, and so, you know, she got some television gigs. And at the same time, our government begins to demonize her for, look, really nothing, okay? Like nothing. And at the same time that they're demonising her and the Murdoch press is just going at her so hard, she's also being coddled by an outsourced government project 
to make videos for Breakthrough Media. Now, from what I understand from Shakira's article, and you know, go back and read it or look up this stuff in The Guardian about Breakthrough Media, who's chief strategist is the same person that brought us Are You OK Day. I'm not saying, I'm not being all conspiratorial here, right? I'm just saying it's interesting how one apparently liberal, world-loving, happy-clappy organisation chooses the same employee as the other. So from what I understand, the people at Breakthrough Media honestly believe that they're doing a wonderful job in bringing peace to the world. Uh, they've got a, a history which is interesting. Founders um, in, include people who were in the company Bell Pottinger. That may mean something to you, it may not. Thank you, Nackers. He says, don't go on too much. But to me, unless there's big signs flashing everywhere, we are talking to you on behalf of the Department of Home Affairs. We want good, well-behaved Muslims who will in public say a message that is agreeable to the Department of Home Affairs, unless that is explicitly stated to every person that they contact, then it's just not on. Not saying, hey, government, don't do your counter, countering violent extremism program. Hey, we wouldn't want to, you know, stop that profitable industry and you know, ask your, you know, academic mates, ask your Muslim mates, right? Have you ever been offered any funding to be involved in a countering violent extremism program? There's reports that it's actually more than a trillion dollar industry. It's kind of, you know, it's almost like the, the military, um, in in a sense, in the in the, in the US, um, in that well, it doesn't actually kill people, but it's of great benefit to private firms, universities, NGOs. If you say I'm interested in countering violent extremism, you can get a gig. And, you know, international relations students end up working in this field and it's based, I have it on a, a good and academic authority because I also wrote an article about Breakthrough Media and, and, and plan to again in the future because they're fascinating. I mean, like, I hope I'm communicating, sorry, Nackers, I, I, I hope I'm communicating this to you well enough. Now, when you see the results of something like breakthrough media online, it'll be, you know, like a gorgeous gal um, in a really stylish hijab saying, hey, I'm just like you. It's just that I do Ramadan. And, you know, there is an encouragement to, on the one hand, you think, oh, well, isn't that nice? They're trying to make uh, the Muslims not seem other. But on the other hand, any cultural difference, any different perspective, these things are being actively leached out. And it's really interesting. Like I've heard this from Aboriginal comrades in the past, not so much now, but now uh, Muslim people, whoever the political football is of the moment, like, you know, you might find yourself being approached by power in a number of ways. So it could be that ASIO comes to talk to you, or it could be that you're demonised, um, you're, you're a target of police interest. It could be that you're invited 
to talk to your local member to give some advice. And Muslim comrades say, well, yeah, that happens. And you, you, you sit there and, you know, you know you're supposed to say a particular thing, but you don't believe the particular thing. And so when you don't say it, their ears shut off just so they can tick a box and say, yes, we consulted Muslims on this matter. So you have that. Um, depending on how influential you are, you might get an invitation to go to the USA on the State Department as an Australian delegate. You'll certainly get invited to talk to important people in Canberra or they will seek you out. Or you might get an invitation from an outsourced, what I believe to be an outsourced propagandist unit that does not disclose as much as it should to the people whose social media presence they try to dominate and shape, you know, you might get invited to one of those things. And it's, you know, it's really interesting to me how somebody, especially somebody very famous um, like, like Yasmin Abdel-Megid, it's interesting how she probably encountered all of those things at the same time. She was a demon. She was an influencer. She was a goddess. You know, she was everybody's Muslim, every white supremacist Muslim. Um, anyhow, let's have a talk about, oh, I was going to talk about me too. I might leave that. What do you reckon? Yeah? Uh, it, look, it's been nearly a year. I'm going to try and do a bit of a, a special I think, um, for the anniversary of old Harve, the alleged man and alleged abuser. Um, oh, my God. You know, so I just, okay, so I'll just say now, and this is sort of related to the, the idea of awareness raising and the idea of our faith in changing the narrative, right, or whatever it is people uh, call it these days. So my idea is, right, you know, because they're told by all these liberals, right, you know, especially those who work in advertising, we can change people's minds. I mean, obviously I want to be queen of the fucking world and then, you know, immediately dethrone myself, of course, because I'm a communist. Um, but before that I will, you know, embrace and empower the proletariat and then they can come and piss in the royal gardens. Um, but, you know, you don't change somebody's fundamental thinking. Sure, you can sell them an idea, you can sell them a political party, you can sell them an icy cold can of coke and hey, you're here on knackers, knackers, knackers and the vag, 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 there's a 10 car pile up. Oh, stay tuned. Get a giveaway free books. Wait for the mystery word, which is hegemony. No, it's not. It's really, oh, look, I fucking tell you now, just to email me, say I want a book. First person to email me, Helen at badhostess.com says, send me your fucking commie book. Um, I'll give you one. See? There. All right. We've done with that. So my idea about this whole, we can change the world through representation and communication. Well, I mean, if I didn't believe in communications, well, I would probably go to bed and, you know, fucking die, right? Because it's the only thing I'm half decent at and um, I'm not even very good at it, but, you know, whatever. Okay, so why are you talking into a podcast, Helen, if you don't think that you can change the world? Well, I'm very vain and I used to be a radio star and this is my piss-weak attempt at reliving my glory days, number one. 
But the other thing is, like, this is a long and fucking boring conversation. You've got to be committed to make it this far. Certainly next. Oh, the poor little darling's fallen asleep. Uh, you have too. Right. So why do I do this shit? Um, because I think you might be interested. I'm trying to actually have a conversation with you. Do I think that, you know, 10 seconds with Helen will change your life? Fuck no. You know, God no. Seriously. In the name of Marx, no. But so it's a journey. It's a, you know, like I'm trying to share a theoretical framework with holes in it, right? You want a different understanding of the root? Grab the root with both hands. You know, radical means it comes from the Latin word for root, radix. Um, so be a radish. Um, that's what radical means, right? Looking at the looking at the root doesn't mean extreme. What is extreme is a liberal who tells me that everything is going to be okay because with my advertising or with your social media campaign, me too, whatever, we can change the world. Now, obviously you can control the world, right? Otherwise, why would breakthrough media bother to do the things that it does? And, you know, why does a campaign that whose effects can't be monitored, like are you okay day? Why does that get funding? Why does that get, I don't know if it gets funding, I don't fucking care, but it gets, you know, a lot of um, big ups, as we used to say in the MDMA 1990s. So it does. So why do those sorts of things get funded, Helen, if you are saying that there is precisely no point to changing people's minds? Well, those things aren't attempting to change people's minds. These are dominant discourses. Oh, fuck, I hate the word discourse. But these are already dominant ideas. These ideas already exist in the culture. They're attempting to reinforce a power relation, right? Okay, I know I sound like a wanker, but I believe what I say. I also believe I'm a wanker. So does Nackers, who is now dreaming the dream of kings, um, which we all are, of course. Um, And... So, yeah, you can reinforce a message that already exists. Can you actually change an idea that doesn't fit? No. You know? And so the ideas that tend to get traction are those that ultimately aren't genuinely at risk of changing anything. And so how could I possibly say that about me too? Well, we can say it in an empirical sense because what has it done? Raised awareness. Well, what's that? What has it produced? What are the actual real-world responses to Me Too? Okay, so if you are a lady or a gentleman or either or none, then you know whatever gender um, you are, whatever gender has been ascribed to you by yourself and your life, Um, you know, why does it, what was I going to say? I was sounding really important, like I was, um, working up to something then. Okay. Well, back to the plot. Thank you, Knackers. He's woken up. He's frustrated with me. Um, here on Knackers, Knackers, Knackers and the vag, vag, vag. So why is Me Too powerless? So we look at the organization Time's Up, uh, founded by a clique of Hollywood ladies. I mean, you know, 
I know they mean well. And now it is administered by some powerful and well-known lady lawyers. And yes, you know, they've raised this money for what? For legal representation for people uh, who have been uh, abused. I guess it's in a sexual or a gendered way at work. So that's their stated aim. So what can they do? They can give you a lawyer. Okay. Have you ever copped shit at work, right? Um, f- for whatever reason. And then have you ever tried to litigate, um, even go into some form of arbitration, even go to the effing, you know, uh, HR department, even try to talk with your boss, with your union rep present. By the way, join a union. I know they suck, but you've got to join them so they don't suck anymore. Um, it can be really traumatizing, right? When you're explaining that. So that's a problem from the start. But the real problem for me with Time's Up is that it doesn't come from the workers. It doesn't come from the mass. You know, it doesn't come from the 99%, the people not of the ruling class, et cetera, et cetera. It is an act of charity that purports to be the result of a mass movement. And I do not doubt, and I don't question that Me Too was a mass surge of true political will that was ripped from the experiences of abuse that people cop of a, you know, sexual or gendered nature. I mean, look, let's not fucking fuck about. Like some of the alleged famous Me Too stories are clear, like fucking that's an afternoon. Like I'm not being some Jermaine Greer here, but, you know, some of the stuff is really a bad date. But a lot of the stuff isn't. And I've copped it. I mean, of course Me Too, right? Of course. You know, and of course at work, that's where we spend a lot of our time, that's where we're most, you know, controlled and surveilled and all of that stuff. And, yeah, if the boss wants to cut costs or if the, you know, employer wants to cut costs, what's a great way to do that? Abase people. Now, people might not be doing this consciously, but Believe you me, there are documents, you know, older documents from Harvard Business School, from the Toyota Company, that actually suggest that one can exploit cultural differences, bigotry that exists in the wider world, and make the workplace more efficient by keeping people in fear. And that keeps the boss and the employer in pole position. It's a very market-friendly technique. And you can tell me all you want that a non-sexist workplace is a more productive workplace, but I'm telling you, you will get a more productive workplace when people are in fear, okay? Like in the terms of capitalism. Like you want, you know, capitalism with a human face. It's not, it's not going to happen. The very nature of work, and you're fucking sure, you know, they're all very nice in the Googleplex and at Facebook, right? And I'm sure if you're on a starting salary of $300,000 a year, it's going to be diverse and understanding as fuck, right? It's not like a, uh, it's not like that for the rest of us. It's, it's really not. And we are the most, and Time's Up is giving charity. Uh, Now Australia seems to me to be a carbon copy they say they might do some lobbying to change the law. What that lobbying is, I don't know. They're not being informed by those of us whose 
real lives, and that's all of us really, I mean, apart from a few, who have to cope with these indignities, who do suffer bigotry, stigma, all of that stuff. And don't tell yourself for a minute that they cannot be used as effective cost-cutting tools. They have been, they are, they will. Sometimes somebody says something sexist or racist to you at work to put you in your fucking place. Sometimes they do it consciously, sometimes it's unconsciously, sometimes it's just because they're a screaming fuckwit. But of course relations at work are abusive. The nature of work is abusive. But let's just think about the core work of Me Too. And I don't doubt for one minute, and I've experienced it, you know, not in the Me Too context, but in other places before, telling your story can feel like a liberation. I have other opinions on that. Yes, storytelling can be very powerful for the self, but it can also be very damaging. And I have told myself my own story of abuse so often. I've told it to others so often. I've been interviewed about it that I just kept opening the wound, you know, trying to understand this special story. It was when I began to understand it as the ordinary story of someone who'd been sent mad at work that it became more bearable. When I began thinking about it like, you know, my partner's um, back problem that was acquired in retail, for example, it was like, yeah, it happened to me at work because workers have no rights and, you know, the union movement has just been bullied into non-existence. Might be nice if you tried to fight back a little bit, ACTU. Yeah, all very good, Sally, saying break the law, but please don't make me bloody campaign for the ALP. Um, anyhow, uh, by the by, join your union, you know, be a commie, stir shit up. All of that aside, okay. So I just want to talk about, like, I acknowledge that the story may have healing power for individuals and I understand that there are some young women um, and men and, you know, people of all genders who have articulated these things for the first time and that they feel a new beginning. And I am not disputing that for a minute. If that psychological effect was felt in your life, I'm really glad. But is that enough a year later? Might be enough for you, and that's cool, right? But is it enough for, you know, those of us who are interested in building a kind of virtue into the system and not into people? Because I don't know how you do that. Like you can call men out for being sexist and, you know, say, don't be a bystander, be a good Samaritan. You know, I mean, fuck that. No? What? You know, like... Do I expect people to stand up for me at work? You know, I mean, when, you know, my abuse was recurring, of course not. They'd get the sack, you know. They'd be tarred with the, you know, same brush. Is that an awful thing to say? Probably. Who knows? Um, I'm awfully sorry if it is. It's one of those antique things that I'm sure if I looked up the etymology, it would be some, it would refer to some horrendous, either, you know, sexist or racist or some form of barbarism. So I do apologise. Anyway, I'm not editing this. It takes too fucking long. Do you want a podcast or don't you? Thank you, knackers. So let's just even think. Okay, so let's even just say that they the stories always have healing power, which I don't believe they do. But they're always psychologically great. 
wasn't the case for me. Could have been for you. Absolutely wasn't for me. So imagine that we collect all of our stories of abuse and we bind them in a big book, big living book, and, you know, this anthology of our pain is published. Just go with me here, right? And we, we just don't rest. It, we keep the document living. And every survivor, every survival story survives inside these pages. And all of our abusers and every abuser reads about the trauma that they wrote into our bodies and our minds, the effects that they carved into us, they read off and they understand, right? So say they finally understand and we can finally convince them and say that large numbers of people begin to believe those of us who have copped that form of abuse. Let's say that they begin to believe us and they say, oh, I think your stories might be true. And they know that they've always been true. And, and you know that this is my pain and this is our pain and that it happened. Okay? And I understand that impulse. I wanted people to understand what happened to me. I wanted them to say, fuck, that was terrible. That should never have happened. I'm so sorry. How are you still alive? Have a tissue. Here's some chocolates. I understand your pain. I've listened to your story. And that's, you know, it's a ritual. You know, it's important, right? But what happens? Okay, so large numbers of people start to acknowledge this horror. What happens? Okay, so um, I don't know what, what has happened um, since we've known of Syria. Um, what happened when we learned of Iraq? Uh, what happened when we learned of Palestine? What happened when we saw what happened in the Northern Territory so-called intervention? What happened when we knew that 100% of juvenile detainees in our Northern Territory are black? All black kids. What happened when we found out how many Aboriginal people were incarcerated? What happened when we heard about the weaponized rape in Haiti? What happened when we heard about the horror of climate change? We said that's horrible and then nothing happened. And the only time things change is when people organize. And I'm not diminishing the power of representation. What I'm asking is that you consider not just new action, but new thought. And I'm asking that you consider that the personal story, when it remains personal, doesn't matter how many you compile, it does not equal a political movement. Me Too is not a movement because it hasn't moved. It is exactly where it was last year, fundamentally neoliberal in nature, and we need Me Too version two. The political will is there. The pain is there. 
the need to change things is acknowledged by so many people. So how do we stop the abuse and where can we stop it? We can stop it at work. How do we do that? We give workers the rights that they once had. We stop this market-friendly bullshit. Okay, I'm not going to see a proper revolution in my time, but I can see you as a mass get together and say, fuck this, no, I'm not casual. And fuck this, you're insuring me. And if I'm injured in any way at work, you fucking pay the bills. And by the way, if I'm injured out of hours, you better make sure I've got some effing sick leave. And pay my super. You know, whatever, whatever. The best that we can hope for. Under the bourgeois state. Hey, I should mention that filthy cartoon, right? Vile thing in an Australian newspaper. It's made international news and it's horrible. It is um, a representation, allegedly, of the very great uh, sports person, Serena Williams. Now, I don't even know sport. Bad eyes, no sporting ability. I don't get this tennis palaver, but she is, and I'm not being like, I don't know sports ball. I'm above all of that. Just, it's not my jam, is it? Neckers, okay, get to the point. But, you know, even I see the magnificence every now and then of a particular athlete. You know, they're just so good that you think, oh, oh, they're rather interesting. And so I saw, you know, her alleged tantrum, which was really not much of a tantrum at all. Um, And then she was very gracious in apology. And she's just, I even bought one of her sports bras, right? Like, I don't have a brand thing except for Adidas, and that's all Fidel Castro's fault, right? And, I mean, don't buy Adidas or what it do. I don't care, whatever. I fucking, I love this shit, right? Um, and instead of an Adidas sports bra, I bought a Serena wig. So I'm just saying, look, I understand that she is just exquisite. I mean, she's physically exquisite. What the fuck else are you watching an athlete for than to just be amazed at what a body can be? And so this horrible thing, right, and there's this stupid fucking debate, so-called debate, you know, about free speech. I mean, Jesus, oh, please, you know, whatever. Um, and the cartoonist says it wasn't racist um, and, you know, maybe he doesn't think so. Uh, maybe he knows less about, you know, the history of visual representations of uh, black people in the USA than I do. But, I mean, to me... Well, look, let's just say it's as racist as the ALP right at a Chinese restaurant in Sussex Street saying, hey, Kim Sue, do you do Aussie meals because I don't like this foreign mark? It's fucking, it's way more racist than that, actually. It's fucking disgusting. And I mean, you, like I'm not a visual person, right, but I can see the lines in there and I've seen the lines before. And to say that it is part of a tradition of caricature well, it's not. It's a caricature of an entire people. You know, uh, uh, b- brutal, mute, animalistic, uh, l- less than. And this is always a depiction, has long been a depiction of people, um, sub-Saharan, um, African origin Word origin. I mean, we all have African origin. Oh my God, it just sounded like Meryl Streep. You know what I mean? I mean, you know, black people from the USA, right? 
And it is like there's no two ways about it. It's a pile of shit. Um, just what I wanted to say, and I've probably been going on long enough, haven't I, Knackers? Um, what I wanted to say was, um, you know, yes, it's racist. Yes, Serena Williams is a very interesting figure in the revulsion that this magnificent athlete provokes in some people. Um, and, you know, I'm sure she will be the subject of uh, many fine arts slash intersectional theses in the future that uh, some spectators are unable, apparently, some prominent spectators are unable, apparently, to simply enjoy the exquisite way she moves and the exquisite way she is formed. And that's really all I know about her. I mean, I have friends who are like bang into her and they just say she's amazing and, you know, um, uh, you know, one of them said, yes, queen. And I said, don't say that. You're not permitted. Um, and because, you know, this person was white and um, I'm very bossy, uh, you, you know, but I mean, I think that there are, just as I'm sort of like distantly impressed by her physicality, I think that there are people that are distantly repulsed by it. That They might not know anything about her, but they are just frightened um, because uh, she's, you know, I mean, this idea that, that she is, um, I mean, it, it seems weird to me. Um, I mean, you know, I have had relations with the ladies before, so I might have a slightly different aesthetic. But to me, she looks extraordinarily, unambiguously feminine. And, you know, I hear her called masculine, you know, and, uh, you know, and then to other people, she looks unambiguously black i mean yeah she's black but um she's u.s athlete that's not uncommon um you know but i think that this this combination of of strength poise and you know let's face it for a very long time impeccable manners is just too much for some prominent commentators to bear and you can blame you know the regular people for being racists or whatever but i mean you know what, I, I just really don't think that that shit occurs to a lot of people before some ultra-reactionary sees that they can advance their agenda and their name by sort of saying these things. Blah, blah, blah. What I did want to say is that I know that this is made international news, but in Australia, um, you know, I mean, and also, like, I don't want to say like, I'm against racism just for the sake of it, whatever, you know, fucking who I am or whatever, it doesn't matter to you unless we're mates, right? But, um, you, you know, what I want to, I mean, I try not to be. I, I, I think that, you know, there is a lot of ideology remaining in my core, you know, which is constantly reinforced, blah, 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 blah. But so let's just say, okay, uh, I'm as non-racist as a very white lady can be. So what, whatever, it doesn't matter. What matters is that so many people are using this depiction of Williams, white people are using this depiction of Williams and, and actually plastering that effing vile picture all over social media, wherever they can, and saying, this is disgusting. And I'm talking about people with louder voices, you know, um, journalists and what have you. And this is racist and Australia is an, a racist and ignorant country. And, 
you know, they do this. And so many journalists. And, well, yes, this is all true. Did you just realise? Did you not know about the black power movement in Australia in the 1970s? Are you completely unaware of Faith Bandler and the 1967 referendum? Have you somehow forgotten decades or not been informed by, if you weren't alive, decades of so-called debate about multiculturalism? Have you never read about the changes culturally that occurred with Gough Whitlam? Have you never heard of the Snowy Mountain Project? Do you not have neighbours with Greek heritage? That's impossible. In Australia, we have so many people who came out or have uh, um, descendants, um, you know, after the Second World War. I mean, there is evidence of ongoing racism all around you. Did you need to see this picture to know it? And fuck you, where were you when John Howard, enabled by the ABC in the view of some, started the intervention where people were actually abused? Where were you when Julia Gillard extended the intervention for another decade? Where were you? when Jenny Macklin, allegedly from the Labour left faction, was the Minister for Indigenous Affairs or whatever they called the portfolio back then. And she was called and is still known, and this isn't me, this has been printed, this has been said many times, many black people in the Northern Territory call her Genocide Jenny. It's completely true. So, you know, all that stuff I said about kids in prison, the territory in Australia is uh, unseated. We have companies like Breakthrough Media trying to massage Muslims into being good and these projects are being paid for by our tax dollars. We have regularly, under this government, explicitly racist things Being said, more importantly, we have extraordinarily racist policies, which, and please stop blaming your fucking fellows, your comrades, for Nauru, okay? Like, the people didn't build it. You know who built it? Fucking so-called democracy, right? And we don't participate in that. We get to choose from one shit party or another shit party. Your comrades didn't build it, right? They might be misled into thinking that this is a great thing to do, okay? But they are not defending those places truly because they do not have the power to do so. Who has the power? The people have the power. But the people apparently would prefer to raise fucking awareness and use media, arts and entertainment industries to make these orgasmic statements so they can enjoy the ecstasy of communication and all of these people who have never said dick about the way that policy impacts the lives, the bodies, the fortunes of Aboriginal people, fucking don't say dick about that. 
And then they say, what do you know about it, white girl? Fucking nothing. I'm white. I've never experienced a life like that. And thank fuck I never will because I wouldn't wish it on a turd, right? I don't need to be black to know when basic rights are being denied a person who lives in the same territory and the same nation state, whether they want to or not, as me, right? It's fucked. And racism is used in this way. And, you know, that's the horror and that's where it starts. And that is where it's scored over again and reinforced and the Serena Williams cartoon is evidence of that. By all means, be publicly disgusted. By all means, hang your head in shame and say, this is not what Australia's all about, but it is what Australia's all about. And it's the evidence. It's just the hard evidence. And if you are one of these fucking, you don't listen anyway, but if, if you are one of these nice people who are saying this is disgusting and the only time that you say that racism is disgusting is when you see it uttered and you're a reporter or you're a journalist or you're somebody who truly feels about these things and you have the capacity to know about these things. But the only time you bring it to a public attention is when it's already in the public attention. Who wins here? You. I know you don't mean to. I know you're genuinely shocked. But you're saying to your networks, I'm not a racist. Okay, well, fucking congratulations. You know, I mean, how hard is it not to be a racist? It's not that fucking hard. Okay? I mean, good on you. Conspicuous compassion and all of that. But just, you know, for every social media post or every article or whatever, or every outrage that you have about something repugnant that comes out of somebody's mouth or something ridiculous somebody says on the the Twitter bot book and every time you say that there's a sexist ad on TV or every time you say, um, you know, well, that um, man of colour, his film would have been better if he hadn't, you know, had an affair with a white lady. You know, like, um, I mean, you know, because, hey, we can't have mixed marriages. I'm shit, you know, sorry. Um, but every, for every time you do that, right, um, every ten times you do that, commit to looking under that and finding a real-life example of the bigotry that you would otherwise critique. So, hey, so how about this? Every 10 times you say that uh, Russia um, colluded with Trump to win the election, why don't you say one thing about how Trump very openly colludes with Israel to keep the people of Palestine in a fucking hole? So... You know, I mean, just switcheroo, you know, is what I'm saying. Just, sorry, knackers, um, just try that. Here's a bear. I am a girl. We are standing in front of you, a proletariat, and asking you to love yourselves and know 
your own power as a mass. If we can just get our sh shit sorted and say, yeah, I don't want that and I don't want that and withhold our labour and withhold our votes or, you know, the limited power that we have, you know, shit, we could organise some shit. Seriously? Oh, okay. Boring even myself. I appear to have lost steam. Helen at badhostess.com if you would like a chatty poo-poo. I never – I have a social media carer. I really very rarely go on the socials. Um, I really do want to visit Facebook soon because I have been invited to a discussion group for the very important program, Younger. I fucking love that. I know it's terrible. You know, we'll discuss it in future. Helen at badhostess.com. I have been the Vag. He has been Knackers. And um, um, arise you pressed and shit. And we'll be back shortly, you know, after two or three weeks of these messages. Thank you.